Well, good morning, and uh, thank you for the opportunity of uh, sharing God's word with you. I'm sure it would be appropriate to say thank you to Pat for batting, bowling, and fielding this morning. He's done a, a great job and uh, prepared now for the word of God. Uh, Jesus says uh, in uh, verse 33 to 34 in this particular passage of scripture that I give you a new commandment to love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. If you have love for one another then everyone will know that you are my disciples. Now I'm sure you've heard hundreds of sermons and devotions and Bible studies on these words and yet what Jesus says here remains one of the most difficult things he asks his followers to do. This morning I guess we walk a very fine line. I can uh, put the heavy on you, you'll go away feeling guilt that you haven't loved one another as much as you've done before, as much as you should, or uh, you can go away encouraged and inspired to be more like Jesus. And that's my intention, so that as we look at this passage of scripture this morning, It's not uh, sort of chastising, beating you to death or forcing you to do something that you struggle with because we all find it difficult, but it's to inspire you to come closer to Jesus and reflect his life in yours as you depend upon the Holy Spirit. It was Bertrand Russell uh, back in 1970, I think he died, he was close to 100 years old. He was a distinguished British philosopher, mathematician and agnostic. As he celebrated his 80th birthday, he was asked what, in his view, the world stood most in need of at that particular time. His answer surprised many people. He said, the root of the matter is love, Christian love. If you feel this, you have a motive for existence. That's from Bertrand Russell. Now, Dr. Zeus had something to say as well and uh, as you read that you can imagine the romantic moment when Noel and I looked into each other's eyes and discovered that our craziness was compatible. You know, <laughs> But it's a reality that we all struggle. We're all on a journey and it's difficult. And in the craziness of life With all the pressures that are on, we've got to be together so that the love that we show to each other and the love that we show through us will attract others to walk with Jesus. The English language has either trivialised the word love when we say, I love chocolate or I love my car or I love my football. Well, it's okay when the Bulldogs win the premiership but I don't love football I like football and I like the Bulldogs but uh, uh, it, it, you know in the English language we've either, either trivialised the word love or we have sexualised it in literature and in movies Jesus says love as I have loved you and in this first part of our sharing together I want to look at these two questions what did Jesus mean by love And how did Jesus love people? It follows that if we can answer this and the better we can understand Jesus' love, the more we will know what true love is all about. We need only to look at how Jesus accepted 
and respected people regardless of their position in the community, whether the person was a learned scholar, a Pharisee like Nicodemus, whether he was a foreign, whether they were a foreign divorcee like the Samaritan woman at the well, a cheat and a traitor like Zacchaeus, a grotesque and unsightly leper, or those possessed by demons who behaved wildly and dangerously. In the story of the Gospels, we recognise that he made, it made no difference to Jesus what kind of background the person had. That person was still a person who needed not to be put down, not to be looked down on, not to be ignored, but that person was a unique and precious child of God. No matter what their condition or what their sin, each person was of immeasurable value to their creator and loved and respected by Jesus. Jesus' love for these people was not simply a warm and fuzzy feeling, but he put himself out there for them. He stood alongside them. He embraced them. He welcomed those who were considered morally corrupt those who were considered outcasts and uh, and outsiders, those condemned for their shameful lives or for their seeming guilt because of their diseases they carried in their bodies. He stood with these people, healing them and forgiving them, releasing them, transforming their lives by the power of of his love. Jesus didn't care what others thought because of all he could see were people who needed to know that someone cared. They were people who God cared for. They were precious and dearly loved. As I reflected on that part of Jesus' life as he interacted with people while he was here on earth, I thought of the times with mobile mission maintenance and particularly the Hong Kong team with Graham and Elizabeth and Peter and Alison Fuller who used to go to a leprosy village. And uh, etched in our memories will be uh, those who were resident in this leprosy village on an island. The joy that was on the faces as Graham or as Peter brought teams in to help those people in their lifestyle in that disabandoned leprosarium. It was sheer joy, light in their eyes, because here were people that cared and there was, I think, a, a Canadian lady, was it, from uh, who used to come and bathe their wounds and, and minister to these outcasts of society. We note that Jesus' love was, was sacrificial. His, throughout his ministry, his own safety and comfort were always last. And then there was the cross, of course, the ultimate symbol of his loving sacrifice. He gave all that he had and that included his own life because of his love for all humanity, because of his love for you and for me. And when we experience that love that brings forgiveness of sin, that gives us the hope of heaven, that gives the empowerment to live daily our lives as followers of Jesus, then we understand what love means. That night in the Garden of Gethsemane, the thought of the cross did not uh, arouse some warm and fuzzy feeling in Jesus. His love was more than that. It was a love that valued people more than his own life. 
It was a love that was determined to let nothing stand in the way of God's love, bringing salvation to all people. It was a love that was prepared to give up everything, even though it seemed that the recipients of that love didn't deserve it. The message translation of Romans 5.8 says, God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were no use whatever to him. Jesus says to us this morning, love as I have loved you. We could talk about this for a long time uh, and we haven't even mentioned Jesus' parables like the Good Samaritan that leave no doubt that love knows no boundaries. What about Jesus' love for his disciples when they tested his patience again and again? His love changed this bunch of slow-minded, ego-centred men into bold leaders of the church in the first century. So what does it mean to love one another in the same way that Jesus loved us? Let's be clear. Who Jesus is talking to, he is talking to his disciples. He is talking to us as the body of Christ, the people of the church. As followers of Jesus, he says, love one another as I have loved you. And that's to inspire us. It's not to push us down in guilt. It's not to weigh the heavy on us. It's to inspire us that there is a possibility of a relationship with the power of God within us that can demonstrate that love in the day-to-day life. Paul emphasises this in his letter to the Philippian Christians. Oops, it's disappeared, brother. Has it? Oh, no. Oh, good. It's uh, just gone off the screen down there for some reason. Did I? I go back one. That's one. Sorry, yeah, that screen's uh, bombed out for some reason. Yeah. So Paul emphasises this in his letter to the Philippian Christians, saying, "Take my joy, make my joy complete by being light-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Your attitude should be the same as that." Of Christ Jesus. You know, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy to a friend. Martin Luther, um, Martin Luther King Jr. said these words. And I guess when we realise who's saying the words of Paul making my joy complete, be like-minded with the same love and the same spirit, we're thinking of a guy, and sometimes we forget that the guy who's writing these letters is on the same scale as the ISIS people that are killing Christians in Syria today. Paul was an ISIS fanatic. He was absolutely committed to wiping out followers of Jesus. He imprisoned them, he killed them and we think that ISIS today and the persecution is is new but it's not. Paul was a transformed ISIS killer, if you like, putting using the word ISIS a little freely. He was transformed by the love of Christ by an encounter with Jesus, recognising that he was kicking against the truth and he was transformed into to be the great missionary, the, the, the great missional leader of the church to, to cover the whole entire known world. 
I think I've mentioned before that in the city church we had a guy come to our service on a couple of years ago, it must be nearly four years ago now. And he was a hit man with the criminal world in Melbourne. He sat outside the state library waiting for the church doors to open and the church doors, the church doors never opened because we were meeting underground. Well, underground, we weren't in China, but we were, we were meeting in a facility underneath the building next door to the church. And he longed for the church doors to be opened. And one day he got on a tram with one of our members and he asked where she was going. And she said she was going to Cross Culture Church of Christ. And he said, oh, that's a church that the doors never opened. And that was it. And he came inside and he was radically transformed by accepting Jesus as his saviour. Now, he's battled, and I'm, he's a very close friend of mine. He's wrestled. He didn't know what the feelings of love was about because he'd always been this hitman and inflicting pain upon others. And he struggled with these feelings, and he still struggles today with these feelings. But Jesus has transformed his life, and that's possible for you and I today. In the letters of the New Testament... Oh, yes, it's disappeared again, brother, for some reason... In the letters of the New Testament, there we are, uh, we find the words one another again and again. Where we find the words one another, we find a description of what it means to love as Christ loved us. What it means to have the same attitude or the same mind as Christ. Now, on your handout that I provided for you uh, today, you've got a list of 20 of those one another's and that's for your reading uh, a little uh, later during the week. You can put that in your Bible and have a look. But there you'll see that we're, we're encouraged to honour, to accept, to instruct, to greet, to, to serve, to be tolerant, to be kind and compassionate to one another. This is a list of, of what is expected of the, the follower of Jesus as we live in community. As you can see, the Bible describes love as action. Uh, it is a decision. Often it's an action that is the result of an act of will because if we relied on our feelings of love, we would never do anything. We would be dominated by our own selfish interest. It's love is a decision. Those of you who are in a relationship and been in a relationship for many years, husbands and wives, you know that that commitment that you've made, love is a decision. And whilst there may be all sorts of temptations, you, you decide to demonstrate love to your partner, to your spouse, in a way that is in her or his best interest. And that's part of the commitment that you have made. Jesus is talk about, uh, talking about rolling up our sleeves and doing what is more difficult. You know, we, we use the word I love you, I love you very easily and sometimes, guys, we use that to get us off the hook when the going gets tough. Of course, you know, I love you. But it's in the actions. You know, it's, it's the actions that demonstrate because love is an action word. It's a decision that I will put the interest and, the, and, and the, the best interest of my spouse before my own. And that has all sorts of implications about the way we use our time and the way we use our money and what we do around the, the house. He's talking about doing good to one another even though that other person, whether it be in the church or whether it be in the home, can be irritating or we may not even like that person. 
in the church is some people you don't like. I don't know. Well, there is this. It might mean forgiving and making peace even though we feel as though we are the ones who have been wronged and that it's the other person who'd be, who should be saying sorry first. It means going out of our way to give encouragement even though we don't know the person very well or perhaps don't particularly get on with them very well or don't even have a clue what to say. There may be people who don't like us in our workplace. There may be people who even hate us and who disagree with us. Some of them might be in the church, some of them might be in the community. They may hold us and our faith in contempt. They may put us down and ignore us and make us feel bad. There may be times when people in the congregation will upset us and our natural reaction would be to return as good as we are given and turn our backs on those who dislike and agree and disagree. There may be times when we want to be selfish and self-centred and say, I want it my way or no way, and if you don't get our own, and if I don't get our own way, then it's easy to walk away. How does that fit with these words of Jesus? I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Or Paul's instruction to have the same attitude as Christ had. There is no way around it. There is no alternative. The only response that we as followers of Jesus can give is to love in the sacrificial, forgiving, accepting and generous way as Jesus did and there are no exceptions. There is no room for an eye for an eye, no argument whatsoever in turning your back on a fellow Christian, no room for intolerance or impatience or rudeness, no reason for walking away because you have been offended. Love always calls for reconciliation. Love always makes the first move toward breaking down walls regardless of who is right or wrong. The more we know Christ and his love, the more we will reflect that love in our lives, especially within the household of faith. The kind of love that Jesus is talking about here, especially toward our fellow Christians, is very demanding. As we reflect on our own lives, it's easy to see that it's hard to love as Christ loved us. It's clear that we need a fresh start and a clean page. We go back to the love of Jesus that led him to the cross and seek forgiveness and renewal. We ask the Holy Spirit to guide us as we walk together as Christ's church that we serve and encourage one another in love. Brothers and sisters, the command of the Lord Jesus that we love one another means two things. It means loving one another is not optional and it means loving one another means loving every follower of Jesus. Christians are commanded to love one another. It's not a question of whether or not we want to to love other believers. It's our Lord's command not to love one another or another believer is to disobey him. The Lord Jesus says, these things I command you that you love one another, John fifteen seventeen. Loving one another means loving every believer. Loving one another does not mean loving only those believers to whom we are naturally attracted. It means loving every believer. 
The Apostle John said that the loving one another is the proof that we have been truly born again. John wrote, We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. I mentioned earlier that the English language has trivialised and sexualised the word love. Since love is so important to the life of the believer, we need to understand what the Lord Jesus means when he commands us to love one another. And most of you who have been around church for a long time will know that in the Greek language there are several words to express the concept of love. The word eros is used to describe the love of pleasure, the love of that which pleases me, where we get the word erotic. Philia, the word is used to describe the love of attraction, it's warm, warm love and affection that we have in close friendships and family. And then there's the word agape, And the word agape is used to describe the love of God. Agape love is that love which the Father has for his beloved Son, Jesus. Jesus said to his Father, You loved me, you agaped me before the foundation of the world. Agape love is also the love which God has for the human race. The Bible says, For God so loved agape, the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amazingly, this agape love is the very same love that Jesus commanded us to have for one another. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love agape one another as I have loved you. What is agape love? It's not easy to define this love. It is something inward which shows itself in actions. Agape love is most clearly seen in God's giving his son to die for us while we were yet sinners. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his agape love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In this agape love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. These verses help us to understand what agape love really is. Agape love is that love which gives and sacrifices for the highest good of another person. The main characteristic of agape love is that it is utterly unselfish. It does not seek its own interests, but always seeks the best interests of the other person. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13 and in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, it gives us a list that tells us how love acts. It shows us how agape love expresses itself. Take time this week to look at Romans, at 1 Corinthians 13 and Romans 12 when it talks about the sincerity of love and what, that, what fruit that brings in your life and mine. In ourselves, we do not have that kind of love that the Lord commands. But God never commands us to do something without enabling us to do it. How does God enable us to love one another with agape love? He gives us the indwelling Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that dwells in the Father and in the Lord Jesus now dwells in every believer. The agape love 
which is in God's heart flows to us and through us to others by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, oh, sorry, I think I've lost that. The Bible says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Agape love does not come from self-effort or anything in us. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is agape love. Now we come to application and conclusion. And we're going to look at three things to summarise the experience of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Now, this uh, photo was taken by a Samsung 7 just before it... (laughs) Here we have... The scene could have not been more inauspicious. A low-lit room, full stomachs and dirty feet of a dozen grown men. This is not where you'd expect to find one of the world's greatest lessons in loving one another. But it was here, nonetheless, in the upper room of a common house in the first century Palestine, the night before Jesus died, that we learn how to live together as the church in this world. The Apostle John tells us the story, showing us three unforgettable parts. Firstly, put on, put an apron on authority. The Apostle is so crystal clear here that he wants us to get the timing down when this event transpired. It was before the Feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that he was about to depart from this world, when Judas was already conniving to betray him, when Jesus understood that the Father had given him all authority and his earthly ministry was almost finished, we're supposed to see this context that John makes the point very clear to us we do, the, we do what Jesus did. Jesus served his disciples and tells us, therefore, that we should serve one another. I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. John 13, verse 15. Jesus says that his humility is an example for us, that we do what he does. And this means profoundly that one of the ways we identify with our Saviour is by caring for others in the same manner that he cared for us. We show ourselves to be his disciples when we humble ourselves and seek the good of others at our own expense. This is important because there is a degree of suffering we will experience in serving one another. It always costs something to seek someone else's good. And there will be times when it feels like we're not getting any encouraging return for that investment that we make. In these moments, because of Jesus' example, we know it doesn't mean we turn and run, but instead press on and hold on. When the serving gets especially tough, we shouldn't necessarily serve less, but perhaps more. And in doing that, we go deeper with Jesus. The third thing that we know, or sorry, uh, what did I do? The second thing we know, I, I went a little bit uh, out, followed the example of Jesus and I missed a page there. So we'll go to the third one. Know and obey the new commandment. And this instruction, an example from Jesus, now becomes a bona fide commandment, a new commandment. John 13:34 says, The meaning behind our serving one another is our love for one another. 
the church loves one another even in ways deeper than flesh and blood family. For our love for one another is a witness to our identity as the redeemed sons and daughters of God. This is such a brain teaser for those of us who have put a lot of thought into the mission and structure of the local church. So often we think, uh, we tend to think of in-reach and outreach or local mission and global mission. So often we tend to think of, of that as two different arms of the church, both extending in opposite directions, doing their own thing. But then Jesus comes and says, one can't exist without the other. The church that is missional and wants to make Jesus known in their community must be a church that loves one another. And a church that is intentional about loving one another can't help but be a church that makes Jesus known. That's the way it works. We think globally and we act locally. And in that demonstration, others will see the love that we have for each other and know that we are followers of Jesus. Hopefully, we feed them salt to make them thirsty and they too will want to know Jesus. And that's how we live together as the church in this world. We go against the grain of societal expectations. We help one another when it hurts and we love one another to represent our King because God is love and we are called to reflect his glory in our lives. Let's bow together in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the wonder of your word and for the amazing story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Father, as we said at the beginning, it's uh, easy, it's not easy to see a command and put it into life's experiences and see how that works out. Father, we don't want to hurt each other. We don't want to force each other. We want this desire to reflect the Father's glory to come from within by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, as we have heard your word, some of us have been convicted that there are things that we should do more of within our families and within our community and within the church, that we should be available more to serve the needs of others. You've convicted us. You've spoken to us this morning. Help us to act on that leading. And as we act upon that leading, Father, that we'll know your power and that your Holy Spirit will empower us so that others will see Jesus and others be drawn to a community that radiates the wonder of the sacrificial love of Jesus. So, Father, thank you for who you are and may we truly represent your glory in the place of our influence. So we commit ourselves and each other to you in Jesus' precious name. And the people said... Amen. Amen. God bless you.